0: Section 14 of Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave, Written by Himself This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave, Written by Himself. Chapter 14. Character of my Indian Master. Slavery among the Indians less cruel. Indian Carousal. Enfeebled Health of my Indian Master. His Death. My Escape. Adventure in a Wigwam. Successful Progress Toward Liberty. The next morning I went home with my new master. And by the way, It is only doing justice to the dead to say that he was the most reasonable and humane slaveholder that I have ever belonged to. He was the last man that pretended to claim property in my person. And although I have freely given the names and residences of all others who have held me as a slave, for prudential reasons, I shall omit giving the name of this individual. He was the owner of a large plantation and quite a number of slaves he raised corn and wheat for his own consumption only there was no cotton tobacco or anything of the kind produced among them for market and i found this difference between negro slavery among the indians and the same thing among the white slaveholders of the south the indians allow their slaves enough to eat and wear they have no overseers to whip nor drive them if a slave offends his master he sometimes in a heat of passion undertakes to chastise him, but it is as often the case as otherwise that the slave gets the better of the fight, and even flogs his master, for which there is no law to punish him, but when the fight is over, that is the last of it. Footnote. This singular fact is corroborated in a letter read by the publisher from an acquaintance while passing through this country in 1849. End of footnote so far as religious instruction is concerned they have it on terms of equality the bond and the free they have no respect of persons they have neither slave laws nor negro pews neither do they separate husbands and wives nor parents and children all things considered if i must be a slave i had by far rather be a slave to an indian than to a white man from the experience i have had with both a majority of the indians were uneducated and still followed up their old heathen traditional notions they made it a rule to have an indian dance or frolic about once a fortnight and they would come together far and near to attend these dances they would most generally commence about the middle of the afternoon and would give notice by the blowing of horns one would commence blowing and another would answer and so it would go all round the neighbourhood when a number had got together they would strike a circle about twenty rods in circumference and kindle up fires about twenty feet apart all around in this circle in the center they would have a large fire to dance around and at each one of the small fires there would be a squaw to keep up the fire which looked delightful off at a distance but the most degrading practice of all was the use of intoxicating drinks which were used to a great excess by all that attended these stump dances. At almost all of these fires there was some one with rum to sell. There would be some dancing, some singing, some gambling, some fighting, and some yelling, and this was kept up often for two days and nights, together. Their dress for the dance was most generally a great bunch of bird feathers, coon-tails, or something of the kind stuck in their heads, and a great many shells tied about their legs to rattle while dancing. Their manner of dancing is taking hold of each other's hands, and forming a ring around the large fire in the center, and go stomping around it until they would get drunk or their heads would get to swimming, and then they would go off and drink, and another set come on. Such were some of the practices indulged in by these Indian slaveholders. My last owner was in a declining state of health when he bought me, and not long after he bought me, he went off forty or fifty miles from home to be doctored by an Indian doctor, accompanied by his wife. I was taken along also to drive the carriage and to wait upon him during his sickness, but he was then so feeble that his life was but short duration after the doctor commenced on him. While he lived, I waited on him according to the best of my ability. I watched over him night and day until he died, and even prepared his body for the tomb before I left him. He died about midnight, and I understood from his friends that he was not to be buried until the second day after his death. I pretended to be taking on at a great rate about his death, but I was more excited about running away than I was about that, and before daylight the next morning, I proved it, for I was on my way to Canada. I never expected a better opportunity would present itself for my escape. I slipped out of the room as if I had gone off to weep for the deceased, knowing that they would not feel alarmed about me until after my master was buried and they had returned back to his residence, and even then they would think that I was somewhere on my way home, and it would be at least four or five days before they would make any stir in looking after me. By that time, if I had no bad luck, I should be out of much danger. After the first day I laid by in the day and traveled by night for several days and nights, passing in this way through several tribes of Indians. I kept pretty near the boundary line. I recollect getting lost one dark rainy night. Not being able to find the road, I came into an Indian settlement at the dead hour of the night. I was wet, wearied, cold and hungry. And yet I felt afraid to enter any of their houses or wigwams, not knowing whether they would be friendly or not. But I knew the Indians were generally drunkards, and that occasionally a drunken white man was found straggling among them, and that such a one would be more likely to find friends from sympathy than an upright man. So I passed myself off that night as a drunkard among them. I walked up to the door of one of their houses and fell up against it, making a great noise like a drunken man. But no one came to the door. I opened it and staggered in, falling about and making a great noise. But finally an old woman got up and gave me a blanket to lie down on. There was quite a number of them lying about on the dirt floor, but not one could talk or understand a word of the English language. I made signs so as to let them know that I wanted something to eat, but they had nothing, so I had to go without that night. I lay down and pretended to be asleep, but I slept none that night, for I was afraid that they would kill me if I went to sleep. About one hour before day, the next morning, three of the females got up and put into a tin kettle a lot of ashes with water to boil, and then poured into it about one quart of corn. After letting it stand a few moments, they poured it into a trough and pounded into thin hominy. They washed it out and boiled it down and called me up to eat my breakfast of it. After eating, I offered them six cents, but they refused to accept it. I then found my way to the main road and traveled all that day on my journey, and just at night arrived at a public house kept by an Indian, who also kept a store. I walked in and asked if I could get lodging, which was granted, but I had not been there long before three men came riding up about dusk, or between sunset and dark. They were white men and, I supposed, slaveholders. At any rate, when they asked if they could have lodging, I trembled for fear they might be in pursuit of me. But the landlord told them that he could not lodge them, but they could get lodging about two miles off with a white man, and they turned their horses and started. The landlord asked me where I was traveling to and where I was from. I told him that I had been out looking at the country, that I had thought of buying land, "'and that I lived in the state of Ohio, in the village of Perrysburg. "'He then said that he had lived there himself, "'and that he had acted as an interpreter there "'among the Maumee tribe of Indians for several years. "'He then asked who I was acquainted with there. "'I informed him that I knew Judge Hollister, Francis Hollister, J. W. Smith, and others. "'At this he was so much pleased that he came up and took me by the hand, "'and received me joyfully.' after seeing that i was acquainted with those of his old friends i could converse with him understandingly from personal acquaintance for i had lived there when i first ran away from kentucky but i felt it to be my duty to start off the next morning before breakfast or sunrise i bought a dozen of eggs and had them boiled to carry with me to eat on the way i did not like the looks of those three men and thought i would get on as fast as possible for fear i might be pursued by them I was then about to enter the territory of another slave state—Missouri. I had passed through the fiery ordeal of Sibley, Gatewood, and Garrison, and had even slipped through the fingers of Deacon Whitfield. I had doubtless gone through great peril in crossing the Indian territory, in passing through the various half-civilized tribes, who seemed to look upon me with astonishment as I passed along. Their hands were almost invariably filled with bows and arrows, tomahawks, guns butcher knives and all the various implements of death which are used by them and what made them look still more frightful their faces were often painted red and their heads muffled with birds feathers bushes coons tails and owls heads but all this i had passed through and my long enslaved limbs and spirit were then in full stretch for emancipation i felt as if one more short struggle would set me free End of chapter 14 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista